0: He blesses you as you strive to labor in His kingdom. I want to, at this central point in the, the arc of our, our thinking, I want to talk about our attitude toward obedience. Because I I think a lot of what we've been talking about and what a lot of what we'll be talking about tomorrow hinges on a right attitude towards obedience. And we've always... You know, man has always kind of had a struggle with that. The least controversial thing that one Christian could say to another should be, "Obey God." That that shouldn't that shouldn't really raise any resistance, ideally. But in my experience, it's it's not. Always that way. Scripture clearly puts obedience in a in a central position. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, and verse 22, when Saul was commanded to destroy the Amalekites and, and didn't didn't follow through on that, God responded through Samuel by saying, "Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices?" as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, Jeremiah tells us that this is what God has always wanted from His people. God says through the prophet, I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I commanded you, that it may be well with you. And so he says, I wouldn't, my my primary concern was not sacrifice. Obviously, he spoke to them about that in the first seven chapters of Leviticus and elsewhere in Numbers. But that that wasn't his primary concern. He said, My primary concern was that you obey me. That that's what I wanted. I wanted a humble and obedient heart. But that was a that was a problem in the in these situations, and, and a lot, not a lot has, has changed in my experience. In many situations, if you say, obey more than three times in a sermon, somebody is going to come up to you afterwards and say, you're neglecting grace. You don't believe in grace. I don't even know what that means. I know what grace means, but I don't don't understand the objection. I don't understand how obedience and grace are at odds with one another. That makes no sense to me. So I want to... I want to look at three attitudes that I think are absolutely essential um, to to what God wants. And, and, And the first one is the idea that obedience is a gift. Obedience is a gift. It was true under under the law of Moses. And it, it's it's stated in Deuteronomy chapter four. And Deuteronomy is a is a second statement of the law. That's literally what it means. Deuteronomy second and Nomo's law. Second law is a second statement of the law, is a renewal of the covenant, is a reminder of Israel to obey God. In Deuteronomy four, five and six, God says through Moses, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments. Just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do this in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. Listen. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now understand what God is saying through Moses there. He said, Look. If you will go up and you will do things my way, Everybody around you is going to look at you and say, Man, they have got it together. These people know how to run a country. These people know how to live. These people, I, I want to be like them. They are wise and understanding. And at the very least, the, the very minimum we say about this is Moses said, look, if you do things God's way, it'll keep you from doing a lot of stupid stuff. And people will be impressed with people who don't do stupid stuff because most people do do stupid stuff. And if you doubt me, turn on the news. I think I'm vindicated in that observation. And if that doesn't get it, YouTube will work. Any video that starts out, hey, y'all watch this, is going to validate my position. I can see some of you all have seen that video. It will be, if they obey God, it will be their wisdom and they will be admired by everyone. The wise Israelite recognized this about God's law. I love the 119th Psalm. I I asked for Psalm 19 to be led earlier. I I wanted to sing the 119th Psalm, but I wasn't sure how that would would work seen the first 37 verses and I don't know what we would have done there but his attitude, if we could get the attitude of the psalmist in the 119th Psalm it would change everything listen to what he says in the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 119, 1 and 2 how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord how blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart And then he goes on to say in Psalm 119, verse 98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. And in verse 165, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Can you imagine going to this guy and saying you need to obey God and him saying, do I have to? No, he's not going to say do I have to. He's going to say, I get to? Fantastic. Because God's way is the blessed way. God's way is the wise way. God's way is going to help me. I can't wait to do things God's way. If you had gone to the the psalmist behind the 119th Psalm and talked about the conflict between obedience and grace, he would have said, what in the world are you? Obedience is a grace. It's a privilege to do things God's way. That blesses me. That helps me. I want to do things God's way. Because I've learned when I don't do things God's way, things don't end well. But we sometimes struggle with that connection. We see the, the very same idea that the psalmist conveys in the New Testament. Jesus is the only man ever to live who could have done anything he wanted to do. Literally. Anything he wanted to do. But he says in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The thing that fills me is to do my Father's will. The thing that nourishes me is to do my Father's will. I think we can learn from that. Think about Paul's calling. So let's let's go back to Acts chapter 9 for just a minute. Acts 9, 15 and 16. And look at what God said on the front end that, that Paul was going to do. And he's speaking to Ananias, who is going to convey this message to Paul in Acts 9, 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, get that last part. I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer. Now you would think that would be an occasion when somebody would say, Do I have to? But is that what Paul said? Let's look at what Paul said about his responsibilities before the Lord, which entail all this suffering. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of God. Paul says, I can't believe the great gift that was given to me to be the guy. I, I don't deserve to be the guy. But God has called me to be the guy who gets to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ Jesus. What a gift. Paul, you're going to have to suffer. I know, isn't that great? That is fantastic. And we, we say, well, now, now wait a minute. Paul didn't really, didn't he? Look at Romans 5.3 and following. And I'm pretty sure he tells us to exalt in tribulation because tribulation yields perseverance. Perseverance proves in character and proves in character holy. I think he did exalt in tribulation. I think he did. The, this, this is marvelous. God has called me to do something. What a gift. See, it's not tension between obedience and grace. The idea is obedience is grace. And Paul called on us to have the same kind of attitude. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says that each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The grace Paul is talking about is the responsibility of carrying out God's will and it was given to each one of us, he says. And the purpose of God in the body of Christ is realized by what Ephesians 4.16, every joint supplies. And so we all have a responsibility before God, and isn't that wonderful? Because that means our life has meaning and purpose that's eternal in Christ Jesus. And so what what a great privilege we have to obey God. The second thing that we need to remember, and I I think we all know this, but obedience is voluntary. It's not... What I mean by that is we signed up for this, right? So when when they entered into the covenant at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus 24, they, they, they received the law in 20 23 there, the, the book of the covenant. and In Exodus 24, 3, it says, Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so, they didn't, nobody's holding a gun to their head. Moses reads the law, and they they said, that's what we're going to do. That is exactly what we're going to do. Now, that wasn't exactly what they were going to do, but that's what they said. That's what they committed to on the front end. And then later, next generation, the generation that entered into the land, Joshua gets them all together at the end of his life. And he says in Joshua 24:15, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. You guys are going to have to decide. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And they answered. Starting in verse 16 of Joshua 24, the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us Through all the way in which we went, among all the peoples through whose midst we passed, the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua basically tells them, I don't think you're going to do it. And they double down on that in Joshua 24, 21, and 22. They say, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Which is the that, That's an oath formula again. They're calling witnesses. This is a, this is a solemn commitment. We are going to serve God. Are you sure? Yes, sir. We are sure. You bear witness to the fact that you've chosen to serve God this day. That is absolutely correct. That is what we're going to do. They chose Him. Nobody twisted their arm. They said, that's what we're going to do. And you say, well, that's not what they did. No, but it is what they committed to. Which is why God is justifiably disappointed with their failure. And we are in exactly, exactly the same situation. We have done the same thing. So every one of us, when we became a Christian, we made the confession that Jesus is Lord. Not so. Romans 10, 8 and 9. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And somebody probably asked us something to the effect. that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes, I do. Well, Jesus has a question for us in light of that confession. He has a question for us in Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Implicit in us confessing Jesus as Lord, as the Lord's anointed, as the Christ, implicit in that confession is a commitment to do His will. We are saying, you are king and we're not. That is the meaning of that confession. We all made that confession when we became Christian. And as far as I know, nobody held a gun to your head and told you to make that confession. Nobody forced you into the waters of baptism with a jackboot. If somebody did, but Let's fix that and do it the right way, okay? But as far as I know, that didn't happen. That didn't happen to me. I walked up and I voluntarily made the good confession, and I voluntarily went down into that water and I allowed them to baptize me into Christ, remission of my sins. I didn't. I wasn't swinging or fighting or anything. I didn't have to wrestle. me. the Guy told me, come down now, I wasn't too sure about me. He had a few questions. I'll save that story for later. It was voluntary. And so what we said when we made that confession is we said, Jesus is Lord and I'm going to obey. And so when somebody comes along and says, you need to obey God, we need to say, well, yeah, of course, that's what I can do." I voluntarily committed to obeying God that's what I did when I became a Christian so of course I'm gonna obey God and that's not a that's not a burdensome thing that's that is the exercise of my free will so when a Christian says I'm gonna do what I want to do what that should mean is obey God because we said on the front of this what I want to do it's called Jesus Lord. What I want to do is realize God's will and not my own. That's what I want to do. That's my goal in life. That's who I am. And so obey God. Well, of course, point the way. That's what I said I'd do. That's why I'm here. I showed up for obeying God. I'm not gonna, you know. I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now. If you set down a big old plate of ribs. Or brisket in front of me the one thing you are not gonna hear out of my mouth is do I have to eat that is not gonna happen I will not feel burdened by your hospitality I promise you or as Dee Bowman used to say you know if you're in the, out in the hot Texas sun and somebody brings you a big old bowl of ice cream are you gonna say do I have to If you do, you've definitely been out in the sun too long. You need to get in the house, cool off, start thinking again. Obedience is voluntary. And finally, and most important, obedience is the pathway to God. And that's the, the really good news about this. Obedience is not only the destination, it's the journey as well. In Hebrews chapter 5, 8 and 9, speaking about Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. How did he learn obedience? Well, he learned obedience by obeying in the face of suffering. That's, that's how he learned obedience. And how was he made perfect? Through, through obedience. And it's the same way for us. Paul says as much in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, back in in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 6, Paul had said something very interesting. He said, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so God's working on you, and he's going to keep working on you until the Lord comes. Well, what is the mechanism for that, Paul? Obedience, Paul says. Obey God. That's your part. You get on board, and God will get the job done. If you will obey God, He will transform you. He will make you what He wants you to be. We accomplish God's will and purpose for us when we obey God. We become what God wants us to become when we obey God. And that just makes sense. Because the commands, every once in a while I use and I haven't heard it in a long time, which is gratifying actually. But I used to hear somebody say, Well, God could command us to do whatever he wants. Is that true? Well, he's God, he, he can do anything he wants to do. Is that true? Could God have said, Thou shalt lie? No, he couldn't have said that, actually, because that would be contrary to who he is. We know God can't lie, because God is faithful. And so, obviously, when he tells us not to lie, he is telling us to act like he does. When he tells us to be faithful, he's telling us to act like he does. When he tells us to be merciful, he's telling us to act like he does. And, and that's what, that's one of the things I think gets, gets a little bit lost in, in our modern conception of things. Because they had some ideas about children that, that we don't have. Anymore. We'll go up to little kids and we'll ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they might they might say anything. Friend of mine was greatly alarmed when he asked his son what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he said a YouTube influence. I think he was terrified. He signed him up for welding school or something. Uh, no. Actually, no. But they didn't ask that in the first century because a son did what his father did. You didn't, you didn't go up to the carpenter's son and say, What do you want to be when you grow up? He's going to say, a carpenter dummy. My dad's a carpenter. That's And so, the father-son relationship was not just the father-son relationship. It was occupational as well. The father learned if the, if the father is a cobbler, the son is a cobbler. And not only is the son a cobbler, but he makes shoes exactly like his dad makes shoes because he learned how to make shoes from his father. The techniques are the same. The product is the same. Everything's the same. Because he learned at the feet of his father. Children are like their fathers. That, that idea was all through the first century. And so you think about the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually reflected there. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. Why? Because the Father's merciful. Or be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That comes in the context of loving our enemies. He calls us his son. To rise on the wicked and the good, and so you, you do that. Do, do what your father does. Act like your father, and so we 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 come. We become like our father, and we be, we come to know our father in a way we never could have apart from obeying his will, as we learn at his feet and realize his purposes and his accomplishment. So obedience is is the is the natural product of love. And that's exactly what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Yeah, somebody said it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is not meant as a lever to get us to obey. It's an observation about the reality of love because we, we imitate what we love. Everybody does that. Everybody imitates what they love. If they, they see something they really you know they they really admire, then they it's gonna it's gonna impact. I have I have trouble with sports illustrations because the sports I follow nobody else follows. Me. So uh, you know, if, if I told you somebody's wearing a, a blue and gold t shirt with a big forty six on it, you won't have any idea what I'm saying. That's Valentino Rossi's number, you know the highest paid athlete in the mid-90s in the world. Still, no, no. Grand Prix motorcycle racing. Anyway, if you see a kid going around in a red number 23 jersey, you know, see, it's all dated, right? It's Michael Jordan. He's a Jordan fan. He he admires Jordan, and so he wants to look like him, and he wants to dress like him and all that. We're made that way. We are designed by God to reflect his image and likeness. We were created with that intent. And when we obey God, we are polishing the mirror so that it more accurately reflects the image of God. And we do that because we love God. We admire God. We want to become like God. And and that's that's exactly, exactly what happened On the mountain in Exodus 34, after the Golden calf incident, the Lord passes before Moses and he proclaims the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And so what, what eventually happens is they forget who God is. In Hosea 4.1, Hosea indicts the people of God. He says, listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Well, faithfulness and kindness were two of the things that we're talking about in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. But they didn't know that anymore because they didn't know God. So they ceased to be faithful and kind. They cease to be faithful and to show loving kindness to others because they don't know God anymore. And he says as much in Hosea 6.6. Yeah, in Hosea 6.6, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. To know God is to love God and to love God is to become like God. And so when somebody says obey, what we should think is, ah, oh, I'm going to get to know God better. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to get a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's not, that's not actually what that feels like. Because being merciful to people who don't appreciate mercy, being kind to people who don't appreciate kindness, and persevering in that, actually, it, it hurts, if we're being honest. But through the pain and through the suffering, We come to know more about exactly what God has done and how God feels when we don't appreciate His mercy and His faithfulness and His kindness. And that's a good thing. So if we'll begin to see obedience from a more biblical perspective, all that conflict between obedience and grace will drop away. And a willingness will be transformed into a desire. We'll never again say, do I have to obey God? We'll say, can I please obey God? And that'll change everything. That, when, when we get that right individually, the collective will happen. Because you, you get a group of people like that with that attitude toward God's will and you put them together and really wonderful things are going to happen. I want to I close with the verse not on the PowerPoint. You may be thinking, well, how wonderful. I want to look at a passage we, we look at all the time but I'm afraid we look at it out of context. Paul is talking about being filled up with the fullness of God at the end of Ephesians 3. And then he says in verse 20, and this is the verse that gets quoted all the time. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That's the part we always quote. And that's true generally. It is. God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That's generally true. But Paul is not speaking generally. Look at what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church. What Paul is saying is God is able to fill you with the fullness of God to a degree greater than you ever imagined, and that together, as His people, as His collective, as the church, you will be able to glorify Him in a way you never thought possible. And so whatever you think, that God can do with the saints here at North Cornwall, or wherever you may be, whatever you think God He can do, more. and however good you think it can be, it can be better. And what do we have to do? Agree. Okay, that's it. Just agree. Say, okay, I'm in. Let's do this, and then start doing things God's way, and it, it'll it'll be the greatest adventure you ever have the most glorious and meaningful thing you ever do and it will have eternal consequences for you and everybody you come in contact with and I just undersold that that's all understated that's not that doesn't that doesn't touch the hem of the garment of how great it is it doesn't, even, it doesn't even get oh, well you promised a lot no I didn't because God's involved we can't even say we can't we're not capable of articulating how wonderful it could be if we are just buying. and that's what obedience is I thank you for your kind attention you've been so gracious to me I'm um, I've, I've, I don't know where we are in time. I know probably stomachs are growling. If somebody has a question or a comment. Angry rebuttal? Thank you all so much. And God bless you. Um, I think we have got an invitation song coming up and closing prayer. You know. If you're not obeying God, you're fighting. And that is only going to hurt you. Stop fighting. Stop rebelling. You're only destroying yourself. God has loved you like no one ever has. So we would encourage you this morning, if you've not obeyed the gospel, we would encourage you to obey the gospel. Become a child of God. Confess Jesus as Lord, repent of your sins, and be baptized. If you're a Christian, and you've been doing things your way anyway, stop fighting. You're only hurting yourself. We can help you to turn things around. I know the saints here will rally around you and do everything they can to encourage you to serve God and enjoy the blessings that that entails. If you need to come, come now as we're standing and as we sing. I'm not.